Breast Cancer Support Group, we can laugh or cry. With our burdens lifted, even for a little while, we can go back to our lives better able to handle dealing with cancer and all it entails. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or to donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services free of charge. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Good afternoon on this hot after, uh, Tuesday afternoon. We are buzzless again here, but we're going to go sort of buzz light year and do a little out of space exploration on this beautiful Tuesday. Uh, my name is Brian Adams, and I'm filling in for Buzz Eisenberg as he travels up and down the East Coast visiting friends and family and hopefully not boiling in this little heat wave we're having. Our guest today is Ron James. Ron is the Director of Media Relations for MUFON, M-U-F-O-N, Mutual UFO Network. MUFON is the world's largest and oldest civilian UFO investigation organization. And Ron, we're thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so there's been a flurry of activity around unidentified flying objects recently. The Department of Defense, the U.S. Congress have recently released reports. Um, what is it about this moment, Ron, that is sparking such interest in UFOs? Well, you could almost think of it as cyclical. The kind of attention that the topic is getting now has repeated itself over time. Uh, in the 40s, there was a huge um, flap about UFO sightings to the point where the government finally had to come in and say, okay, we're going to launch Project Blue Book. Uh, they said the same kind of things that they're saying now. They, they, they would say that um, the, you know, the objects are not ours. We don't know what they are. They're doing things we can't explain. And, um, and we're getting a repeat of a story that's been repeated twice so far throughout history. And um, it's almost being repeated verbatim. So are we getting any new information this time? The answer seems to be that we're getting a new openness and possibly the acknowledgement of some new technology. But um, we've heard all this before. And, and uh, NASA is all set to launch an investigation in the fall as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what they say. Do you think... Ron, that the United States government is withholding information from the general public about UFOs? And if so, why would the government, any government, uh, hide, hide reports of unidentified aerial phenomena? Well, the question as to whether or not the government is with, uh, hiding information from us is it's, it's been proven uh, so many times that it's not even an issue anymore. It's, it's absolutely provable that that's exactly what's going on. As far as the reason for it, uh, it could be many, many things. Um, we, we just don't know. It could be a combination of things. If you're, if you're the government, say, back in the 40s, and you begin to get evidence of um, uh, non-human intelligence engaging the human race, then you've got to look at, you know, what was the climate back then? We just came out of World War II. Um, was a very uh, very conservative time, and uh, you know the the people of the day confronted with that issue may have thought that just containing it and keeping it a secret would be the best thing for humanity. And then fast forward 50, 75 years, 
And that secret has become so institutionalized that there's really no way out. It's like, how do you suddenly just come out and admit to the biggest deception in human history? Uh, who's, there's going to be people that are going to be accountable for this. There's going to be all kinds of repercussions. So, you know, once this thing was, was put under secrecy, it made more sense just to maintain the secret than it's ever made to come out and admit the secret exists. So I guess I'm having uh, a difficult time being skeptical that our government, or frankly any government, um, is capable of hiding secrets of that magnitude. You say this is one of the, the, the biggest secret ever. I mean, it, it just seems like there would be all sorts of people coming out, um, spilling the beans about something of this magnitude. But that it, has that happened? Is that... Uh, uh, um, your your thoughts on that? Well, there's been plenty of so-called leaks over time. The the people in the, what you could call the UFO community, the, the few thousand hardcore people that study this and have been really digging for the truth, there's plenty of information out there. There's plenty of times when there has been information dropped, usually mixed with a certain amount of disinformation so that it can't be proven. But, but the information has come out. Uh, you know, basically what we can... Uh, reasonably ascertain at this point is that there was definitely a flurry of activity back in the 40s, that there was a group of people put together to manage this thing on a very deep level, accountable to nobody pretty much, and um, they've been doing it ever since. And we know that there's been recovered technology, we know that there's been recovered materials and we know that that stuff's been studied off and on over the years by different groups in government and industry and we're finally getting to the point where we know what this stuff was what some of this technology was and what some of the results of these tests are and this is all you know slowly coming out based on the story that they want to give us uh it's been kind of a whitewashing of the past so that the last 50 years of, of research and secret programs, they can kind of gloss over it. And that's been the purpose of what we call the new narrative that we're facing right now, is let's erase that past so we can get rid of the need to be accountable for that and let's act like, you know, we're just discovering this stuff now. When Ron, when you say uh, we know that there's recovered technology, we know that parts exist, who, who is the we of that? Is that, is that MUFON? Is that the government? Um, who who is that? Who is that? We. Well, I would say that it's anybody that's paying attention to the topic. There's been enough uh, data put out by uh, Freedom of Information Act request. There was just a huge dump by the Pentagon of fifteen hundred pages of materials where they're study where they they've been documented studying things supposedly in the recent past. But um, if you uh, if you actually look to the contracts for the companies put these studies together, part of the qualifiers to write these reports is that they had to be people that have been involved in this stuff for ten or more years, and that was back in the in the early two thousands. So when when I say we, I mean anybody that's paying attention and and looking at what's being put out and uh, and doing the math. So there are a lot of reports about uh, unidentified flying objects. And um, many of these can be attributed to satellite launches, human misinterpretation, unique atmosphere conditions, equipment monitoring. But there are those sightings that are unexplained. Um, can you talk about some of those unexplained 
uh, sightings that are of most interest uh, to you? Well, you know, MUFON is sitting on probably by now close to 120,000 different reports uh, that come into us over time. Now, the uh, the thing is, is that 98%, 90, between 94 and 98% of these reports that come into MUFON can be easily explained, or at least explained after a certain level of investigation. But that doesn't mean that there aren't the ones that we can't explain. We've seen a rash of um, uh, videos that kind of resemble these items that the Navy released, these Tic Tac videos. Um, we've had some interesting things happen during SpaceX launches. So there's always something that's going on with unidentified objects in the sky. And like I say, most of them can be easily identified, but there's always some that can't. And do you personally believe that some of these sightings are uh, alien spaceships with extraterrestrial beings? They're definitely something. And the, uh, my feeling about what we're seeing in the sky is that the answer is going to be a lot more complicated than just say, oh, it's a little green guy from another planet. Uh, what we're really starting to understand is that there's a consciousness aspect to all of this and um, that some of the, uh, some of the things that we're, we're seeing and studying actually relate to the very nature of reality. So could they be aliens from another planet? Certainly. Is there a possibility that aliens from another planet have been interacting with humanity? There's a reasonable body of evidence for that. Um, and could it be something that we don't even understand is just as likely of an answer? Or could it be all of the above and more is even more likely? The, what, one of the questions that I have is that it, if these were, for a moment, let's, let's say these were alien spacecraft with extraterrestrials, they're coming to Earth to, to visit Earth. Why would they not want to make more serious, legitimate contact with us? Wouldn't communication on a more active, visible level be something that, that uh, they would actively seek out? Well, there's a lot of thoughts on this, but it makes a whole lot of sense that if you are not a species that has evolved to a point where you're worthy of that kind of contact, then you're not going to get contacted. And let's face it, humanity is not exactly a shining beacon of what uh, would be necessary to attract the attention of an advanced race. I think that we probably have a long way to go as far as being um, in a position where this kind of revelation is, is going to be made to the, uh, to the broad populace just because we're just not there. And um, why would you want to invite a, a species that is as dangerous and as irresponsible and as warlike and as, as uh, unevolved as we are at this point into some kind of broader galactic family? I think we're probably better off quarantined until we decide to get our act together and save ourselves. Hey, Ron, this is uh, Dan here. Uh, I, I had a really a stupid question before we take a break, but I'm curious to know what you think. Uh, Bill Clinton uh, uh, told a uh, night show host maybe a couple weeks ago that he actually had sent agents to Area 51 to see if there were in fact uh, uh, life from another planet. What did you think about that statement? I mean, do, do you think he was honest about it or do you think he was covering it up anyways or what do you think 
Well, you know, it's interesting. If you if you know a little bit about the history of the Clintons and the UFO topic, uh, you'll find that they were very engaged in it. Uh, Lawrence Rockefeller had actually had the Clintons out to uh, um, his ranch to talk. It was called the Rockefeller Initiative uh, to talk about doing UFO disclosure. And there's a very famous picture of Hillary Clinton with Lawrence Rockefeller walking and um there's a book sticking out of her bag. And that book is by a guy named Paul Davies. And it's something like the, uh, the, the so- social implications of, of the revelation of extraterrestrial life. I don't remember the exact title, but this is a very famous picture. The Clintons were involved in trying to get information declassified about this topic on many levels and many different people within the, their administration. And to a certain extent, they got stonewalled. Mm. And to another certain extent, they were told things that they can't repeat. Mm. My name is Brian Adams. I'm filling in for Buzz Eisenberg on the Afternoon Buzz this afternoon. We're talking with Ron James. Ron is the Director of Media Relations for MUFON, M-U-F-O-N. That's the Mutual UFO Network. Check out their website. It's really interesting. It's the world's largest and oldest civilian UFO investigation organization. And after this break, we will be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The breath of the morning, I keep forgetting the smell of the warm summer When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Francis Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money. Financial coaching, coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely, We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Is there corn chowder today? There are things they only make certain times of year at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. And with the corn so tall, there might be corn chowder today. There might be blueberry pie. The kitchen garden farm in Sunderland might arrive at Paul and Elizabeth's today with eggplant or zucchini. What'll they make with those? Eating at Paul and Elizabeth's isn't exactly like eating out of your own garden, but it's close. Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant inside Thorns in Northampton. 
Here's a slice of advice about pizza boxes. It's okay to recycle the entire pizza box as long as it's empty. For a long time, greasy boxes were assumed to cause recycling problems, but a new study proved they don't. It's time to capture the 3 billion pizza boxes used annually in the U.S. Visit RecycleSmartMA.org to learn more about what can and can't get recycled. After you've enjoyed tonight's pizza, turn the box inside out, discard what falls out, and recycle the rest. Brought to you by the Northampton DPW. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Actually, this is the Afternoon Buzz without Buzz Eisenberg. My name is Brian Adams. I'm your guest host for this afternoon. Uh, and we are talking with Ron James. Ron is the Director of Media Relations for MUFON, the world's largest and oldest civilian UFO investigation organization. And we're talking about uh, UFOs. Um, Ron, during break, you were talking about documents and proof that the U.S. government or other governments have regarding UFOs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there was uh, there was recently some Freedom of Information Act requests that were sent in uh, pertaining specifically to materials recovered from uh, uh, shot-off debris, flotsam, uh, and other residue from unidentified flying objects recovered by the Department of Defense. It was a very, very specific document, and it asked only for that kind of stuff. We got back 154 pages of material studies. So we were able to go back through those and and look at materials that the government is able to tell us what they're made of as far as how they're made in the periodic table, but they're not able to tell us how they're manufactured they're not able to tell us where they're manufactured, and they're not really able to tell us definitively what they're used for. And at the same time, we find out that the Defense Intelligence Agency has been requesting reports about all kinds of different things, like um, uh, things that would seem far out by science fiction, uh, um, a neutronic fusion propulsion, uh, quantum tomography, uh, anti-gravity for aerospace applications, concept for extracting energy from the quantum vacuum, uh, state-of-the-art evolution of high-energy laser weapons. It's 37 different reports where they're, where they're studying things that do not exist. And, and the question becomes, why are they studying things that do not exist, and where did they come up with the idea that these things do exist, and it all ties into recovery of, of off-world craft. And, and you're saying that alien craft have been recovered and that, and the, and that material, that, resi- that um, residual uh, uh, material is, is available, that the U.S. government is holding on to that and, and, and now starting to release information about it? Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. They're, they're releasing it with, uh, with the same old kind of smoke and mirrors that they usually release everything. But when you have them admitting that they're studying things like um, uh, metallic glass, prospects for aerospace applications, um, you know, metallic glass, it's pretty funny. In Star Trek, old Scotty discovered transparent aluminum a long time ago. And now we know that it, uh, it does exist, but we don't really know everything about what it's going to be used for and how to make it but we have reports about it, um, anti-gravity for aerospace applications. So, and this is, a, uh, this is a, a document from the Defense Intelligence Agency, 
it's a it's a multi-page report by a lot of scientists surmising about what these different technologies may be uh, may be used for, but they don't know how to make them and they don't know what creates them and they don't know how to deploy them. They just know that they exist and that they may find their way into uh, our technology, say in the next fifty years. But this stuff doesn't. It, it had to have come from somewhere. Um, in order to gain the attention of, of the scientists that were involved in these studies. Ron, in visiting the MUFON website, there's this case management system, which is a repository of eye, eyewitness accounts. Um, can you talk about w w what happens when a report of a, of a unidentified flying object comes to MUFON? How, how do you investigate it? How do you verify or dismiss it? What do you, what, what do, you do with these reports? Well, we get a lot of them, and they generally go to the state or regional directors of the of the group, at which point they're evaluated. Like I said, ninety percent of them we can we can cross reference them to a known uh, terrestrial activity. It could be a SpaceX launch. That's always good for a few reports. Uh, that when the SpaceX deploys the Starlink satellites, the, the phones ring off the hook. Um, well, not the phones, but the email. Uh, then, then we can uh, cross-reference them with things that we know were happening at the time. We can we have them looked at. By Hello. Okay, still there? Yeah, sorry, I, I heard a dial tone. Okay, you, you can keep on going talking about reports. Yeah, so we have out. them. We have them looked at by our photo analyst. Uh, sometimes uh, most reports come in. We figure out what they are. We can't reach back out to everybody that files a report, but they do go into the archives. And then when there's something that's compelling and does and doesn't and get past our initial evaluations, we will sometimes reach out to the people involved and conduct a fuller investigation where we send somebody out in person to take their information and do some more professional investigation into the, uh, into the report. Some of the more out-there reports involve people claiming they were abducted by aliens. Your thoughts on this? You know, that topic has been explored for a very long time, and uh, a famous uh, uh, professor named Bud Hopkins wrote a book about it uh, a years ago, there seems to be, and the scientific community is agreeing, and MUFON has actually been involved in some very scientific researches of the phenomenon, there seems to be something going on that is beyond just somebody's imagination. Now, what that is, uh, some people, you know, opinions vary. What can we absolutely prove? At this point, we can prove that these people are having experiences that they believe are real and that they are not projects of... Um, usually are not projects of mental illness or, um, you know, the other kind of cuckoo factors. These people actually are having something happen to them. So, Ron, this is Dan. I had a quick uh, question that I wanted to ask before before we end the interview. Um, if somebody is still a skeptic about alien life, which document or uh, sources would you recommend that they start uh, investigating first to, if they're curious about you know, uh, exploring uh, different uh, ideas and perspectives on this topic? Well, you know, Richard Dolan is a very well-known historian on the topic, and he's written a couple of books uh, called UFOs in the National Security State, and that kind of goes back to the history of this cover-up. It names names, it, it shares documents, and it really paints a picture that 
it's pretty easy to verify about what's going on. And then just lately pay attention to what's happening right now. Like I said, the Pentagon just released 1,500 pages of, of documents, uh, some of which I've been talking about here, all of which refer to the study of advanced technologies um, that we simply don't have. And, and so, uh, you know, they, they, there's a lot of interesting places to start there. But you have to understand that the government is not going to come out and say, yes, we've been studying this for over 50 years. We have accumulated quite a bit of knowledge and we've been lying to the, the world about it this whole time. They're doing everything they can to get as much of the information out as possible, but they're doing it in such a way that they don't have to admit where they got it. We have been talking. We've been talking. We've been talking this afternoon with Ron James. Ron is the director of media relations for MUFON, one of the world's oldest and largest civilian UFO investigation organization. And we can encourage people if they're more interested to go to the MUFON website. M U F O N. It's got some interesting video clips. It's got some interesting testimony that is out there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be with Jackie Walsh talking all things theater so stay with us this is the afternoon buzz with buzz eisenberg 1015 whmp for whmp news i'm jess tyler a 52.7 billion dollar compromise state budget filed by massachusetts lawmakers is moving forward the vote to approve yesterday was unanimous in both the house and senate Budget negotiators marked up their estimate of available tax revenue for fiscal 2023 by $2.66 billion and then spread the additional revenue through the bill. The budget includes additional funds for unrestricted general government aid to cities and towns and a Chapter 70 school aid, which would rise to nearly $6 billion under the budget agreement. Governor Baker will have 10 days to review and either sign or return any amendments and vetoes. Retail cannabis facilities will now be able to operate in West Springfield. The town council approved the retail sale by a vote of 6-3 to three last night. Mayor Reichelt submitted a legislative package to the town council earlier this year that included a two-part proposal regarding cannabis. Reichelt's proposal looked to lift the townwide ban on retail cannabis establishments and allow additional types of retail facilities to operate in certain areas. Developers plan to meet with the Holyoke Planning Board next month to present a revised plan for a Dunkin' Donuts on Mount Tom. Despite an ongoing lawsuit against the board by Salmar Realty and the Log Cabin, where the drive-thru would be located, a state land court judge says all three have agreed to meet to go over a revised project plan that addresses the initial traffic concerns. According to the Gazette, the land court will have jurisdiction over the meeting, which allows the lawsuit to move forward if parties involved are not satisfied with results. Partly sunny this afternoon, there is the chance for an isolated shower, hot and humid, a high of 88 to 92. Scattered clouds tonight, low 64 to 70. A sun cloud mix tomorrow, chance for an afternoon storm, a high of 92 to 96. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. 
But I don't see wine here, Ringo. What do you got? Well, who am I? You're the spirit guy. Uh-oh. So you're taking me down the road of spirit. So our next whiskey is going back to traditions here. Uh, this is Port Eskeg, eight-year-old single malt scotch. So it's actual scotch. This is Scotland scotch, mm. scotchy scotch scotch. This is an Isla single malt, peatier in style. This one does not suffer supply chain issues because you wouldn't be giving it to us if it did, right? Correct. It says Port Eskeg, which is a location, but it's an independent bottler that gives them their whiskey. Because there's so many different approaches on whiskey, I really try and hit everything with a very open mind as far as what can be good. This one got 95 points at the, the Ultimate Spirits Challenge. Well, I think this is very good. And how much is this single mall? This is 66.99, so it's kind of right in that low to mid entry level price point. Find your favorite whiskey and your next favorite whiskey at State Street. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. And welcome to the Afternoon Buzz. This is Dan Torres in for Buzz Eisenberg, who is away, but it is Tuesday, so it is Jackie Walsh in Playbill. Jackie, who do we have today? Hey, we have some guests from a play called Educating Rita, which people may know from. It was on Broadway, I believe, years ago, and then there was a movie. But before I introduce them, I want to tell you about some of the shows happening. There are a million. So if you're at home and you have a pen and you want to see some theater, get your pen and paper out because there are so many options. So first at the Majestic Theater, which is in the Pioneer Valley, close to us in West Springfield, there is a play called Betty in the Patch that goes until, wow, through July 24th, so a week or two more. Founder Danny Eaton has written the play, and it's about a restaurant run by a woman, and she's hitting some hard times, so she asks her lawyer, lawyer daughter to come and run it with her. Those shows are on Wednesdays through Sundays. Barrington Stage in Pittsfield has Anna in the Tropics July 16th through 30th. This won the Pulitzer Prize. It takes place in 1929. So it's about a handsome lector who arrives at one of the last Cuban cigar factories in Tampa to entertain the workers while they hand roll cigars. He reads Anna Karenina, and soon it's apparent that the, the passions and the frustrations of the lives of the workers are very similar to Anna's and the other characters. So that's at the Boyd Kinson um, stage. That's a pretty big theater, 520 seats in Pittsfield. They have a smaller theater in Pittsfield, um, the St. Germain stage, which uh, with 132 seats. ABCD is running there through the 23rd, so I believe that's just through this weekend, about an underserved school on the verge of shutdown and an elite magnet program nearby. Um, what else is going on? Berkshire Theater Group has Songs for a New World at the really sweet little Unicorn Theater I believe that's in Stockbridge. I keep confusing that with Lennox. That's July 26th through August 20th. It's a moving collection of songs that examine life, 
love and the choices we make. Williamstown Theater Festival has Man of God through July 22nd. This is a new comedy thriller. We had someone come in and speak about it last week. It sounds fantastic. It's about uh, three, three or four students, girls who go to Bangkok um, on sort of a, a Christian trip and the pastor puts a camera in their bathroom and the girls all react in very different ways. Um, what else is going on? Chester Theater, very small, cute theater, sort of in the middle of Western Mass. Beautiful driving to go there pretty much from anywhere. That's July 28th through August 7th, Passover. It's about two men who went out of their Chicago neighborhood. It's a surreal and morbidly funny existential drama. That is through August 7th. Jaduke in Turner's this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday has Crazy For You. It's a Gershwin romantic comedy based on the 1930 musical Girl Crazy. Just a couple more. Shakespeare and Company has much to do about nothing running through August 14th, A Walk in the Woods through September 4th, and Him July 22nd through August 21st. And then we have right here in East Hampton at the Old Town Hall, the Blue Room, on Main Street, Educating Rita. It's the Passport Theater Company's production. And it is directed by Hassana Majumi. And it's by Willie Russell. Two of the actors are here today. Stephanie Carlson, who plays Rita, and Adrian Goldman, who is Frank. It's just this weekend, Thursday through Sunday. Tickets are fairly cheap, $22, $20. And you can get your tickets at Evenbrite. That's even, B-R-I-T-E dot com. So, I'm sorry, that was long. Hello, Stephanie and Adrian. How are you? Hello, very how, good to see you. Hello, great to, great to, great to hear you. <laughs> Can't wait to hear about this place. So, um, Adrian, why don't you start by giving us an overview of the play's plot? Sure. So, um, one of the most interesting, interesting things about the play is that, in fact, it's the story of the author, too. So, Willie Russell actually didn't finish school. He was a ladies' hairdresser. He went to university, and it became a successful playwright. So, the plot concerns a working-class girl, Rita, who really didn't work in school, but she comes to realize that there's more to life than just, 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 going, just going and drinking. And so, she wants to get an education. So, she rolls like in, an, in a night school, and we then see her learn from her tutor, which is Frank, played by me. Mm. And then as she's going up, he's going down. So, that's basically mm. the story of the plot. I didn't know the part about him going down. So, this, it, does it have parallels with My Fair Lady? Absolutely, it does. So, My Fair Lady, which is, of course, based on Pygmalion by Bernard Shaw, is, is, it's a, and which is the same plot as A Star is Born, in fact, okay. whichever version you see. Um, yes is the story of, I mean, the, the initial myth is this idea that there's this old king, Pygmalion, and he's a sculptor, and he makes this statue that is this beautiful woman. He falls in love with the statue, and then it comes to life. Uh -huh. So that's the Pygmalion myth. And if you, you can see that that's like My Fair Lady, and it's like Pygmalion, and it's like A Star is Born. That's the same plot in all of them. Yes. So the two characters. So, Adrian, who is your character? Well, my character is Frank. You see, I'm I'm playing this lecturer. He's sort of like embittered. He's 50 plus. Um, he's, you know, so a lecturer in the UK is like an associate professor. So I have tenure. So I don't really care if I get drunk. Um, <laughs> so it's hard to kick me out. But I'm not really happy with where I've ended up being. Yes. 
Got it. And you have, are, are you sort of upper class or not? I would class, no, but I would class the accent I'm using as, as a BBC standard. I could go upper class and sound like Boris Johnson if you wanted me to, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so tell us, Stephanie, about Rita. Sure. Well, Rita is a hairdresser. She's working class. Uh, she's from Liverpool, and uh, she's always sort of secretly craved an education, but not had the guts to, you know, be different from her mates. Um, and so now she's determined to make a change and make her life better. Great. And uh, of course, Liverpool, we all associate with the Beatles accent. Can you give us a line or two? I'd love to hear what you'll sound like. Can you remember well, a line of the play when you're not at rehearsal? I hope can, you can. <laughs> can. Can I swear? Is it, all, is it okay if I swear? No. <laughs> no, then I won't swear. Then I'll say, um, they're all afraid of getting cancer, but they're all cowards. <laughs> That's great. I think it would be worth going to the play just to hear the accents. <laughs> it's dead interesting, Jackie, I have to tell you. <laughs> So, um, so I've heard the play is very funny. Does one of you want to talk about the humor in the play? Yeah, I would talk about it. Okay. Um, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of humor in this play. Uh, it's really, I mean, not, there are some, you know, jokes where you feel like there should be sort of a, but I'm sick, you know. But there's, there's also just a, a lot of really funny and and tender moments between these two characters. So it's, it's funny with heart. We think. Mm -hmm. Um, and have you, I forget if the show has started already. No, no. no. Um, well, we, we performed it in Helsinki, uh, in September. And so this is a remount of that show. So these will be our first, uh, and only performances in the U S. Uh huh. And did the Helsinki audience surprise you with what they laughed at? Stephanie. That's a really, oh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, they, um, they did. I mean, they always do. I think what's, what always surprises me is that they laugh at different things each night. Um, wow. And, you know, it's, so it really depends on the audience. You know, the, the, the audiences there tend to be, you know, sometimes there's a lot of British people, sometimes there's a lot of Finnish people, uh, and they, they find different things funny, I think. This is Dan. I, I had a quick question uh, about why did you get involved with this play at this moment? Oh, wow, that's a really interesting question. So um, I guess this play, you know, so I think you don't even quite know where to start this from. But one of the reasons is that Steph and I have been talking about this play for a long time. It's got a fantastic part. It's a lead part for a woman. Um, and so so she said, let's let's do this. And We were looking for something also that we could rehearse on Zoom during the yeah. pandemic. Mm. So that was sort of the, the initial inception of doing this now was, we were both stuck at home uh, across the globe, um, you know, in our respective countries and looking for some sort of creative outlet. And we said, well, let's bring this one out. It's a two-hander. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we, you know, we, we really looked at it closely to see if it would still be relevant uh, now. It's, you know, it's written in like the very late 70s, early opened in the early 80s. And we wanted to see if it was relevant, but we really think that there's so much still to say about class issues and education and the importance of how education can open the door for people. 
Yeah, and I think also the the, 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 the whole business of like imposter syndrome as well, which is clearly a motif through the play, is how can you be, how can you learn to speak a language that's not the one that you grew up learning um, in terms of you know your caste and and this, that's great you know so that's I think a really part of the play. Well, having spent COVID doing Duolingo almost every day, I, I understand how hard it is to learn a language and even a different accent. So we are speaking with Stephanie Carlson, who plays Rita in Educating Rita, and Adrian Goldman, who plays Franklin. And we're going to take a commercial break and be right back to hear more about the show. Happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you'd like to do. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. This weekend, the Co-Festival opens its 31st and final season with a collaboration spanning Knoxville, Tennessee and Putney, Vermont. It's Linda Paris Bailey and Sandglass Theater's Flushing, Make Room for Someone Else, a new show that deals with issues of race, legacy, and identity. After years of knowing each other as theater colleagues, Linda and Eric discover they both grew up only a few miles apart in Flushing, Queens. Though their life paths took them in different directions, they once again find themselves in a similar place in the process of handing their theater companies to a younger generation and facing the brink of retirement. Told with live performers, live music, and puppets, it's this weekend in our new home on the Hampshire College campus. And don't forget our other show this weekend, the CoFest Story Slam, Sunday at 8. Interested? Visit CoFest.com. That's K-O-F-E-S-T.com. The CoFestival, where the only certainty is surprise. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Jessica Eau Claire. Did you know you can start your pre-qualification or mortgage application online? Head on over to our new website at bestlocalbank.com and apply today. Or, if you prefer, come see us in person at one of our Hampshire or Franklin County locations. Right now, we're also giving you the opportunity to save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. That's right. You get $750 plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you for a mortgage. It's the best local mortgage from the best local bank. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Jessica Eau Claire, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th, be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19 and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. 
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And this is Dan Torres in for Buzz Eisenberg, who is away. And of course, it's Tuesday, so we're still going to continue our conversation here with Jackie Walsh on Playbill. Jackie. Yes, we are speaking to Stephanie Carlson and Adrian Goldman, who are in Educate and Rito, which is this weekend, Thursday through Sunday, at the Blue Room, the Old Town Hall on Main Street in East Hampton. And we were just chatting a little bit about how this production was in Helsinki, many thousands of miles away before it came here. So I'm curious, Adrian, maybe you can tell us how you two chose Helsinki as a place to do theater. So, well, I live in Helsinki, so, so um, you know, so that's how we choose Helsinki, um, because that's a place where I can produce a show and, you know, we can get volunteers to help out on the show. So and that's where Hosanna Magumi, who's now in London, was living at the time. And she was she was she directed the show. So that's why we did it in Helsinki first. And um, it's a small enough show, of course, that we, you know, we were talking after the show closed in Helsinki. And I said to Steph, couldn't we do this all over again in, in East Hampton? She said, yeah, let's do that. Fantastic. That's why these two places. And as I understand it, you, Adrian, cast Stephanie, who I consider one of the top five, if not top three, actors in our little Pioneer Valley theater world. You cast her in her first show when she was 16. This is correct. I was a graduate student at Yale, and um, I was asked to direct Pippin at the, at the, at, in Brantford. And she came in addition to, I was like, wow, this girl is really talented. Wow. And then if you want to hear the other part of the story, sure. she asked me to write a letter for her when she went to, to, to I University. went to Hampshire, in, Hampshire, Hampshire College, yeah. You know, and I wrote saying, you know, I think, I think Stephanie will make it to, to, to an equity actress. I uh -huh. think she's that good. Yeah, so Adrian, I um, letter. so I do local yeah. theater and I am mystified watching play after play, being in lots of plays. There are really good actors. There are people who are not so good. I cannot figure out what the key is. So maybe, Adrian, you can tell us what Stephanie has and what good actors have. How do they do it? Well, I think the thing you see is, is creativity. So there's a monologue that, that I always use for additions, and I was using it back then. It's something from, um, from Inspector Hound. And she is the first and last person who decided this monologue needs to get up onto a chair and it needs to get up onto a table, and that's how I'm going to do it. It's like, you know, wow. She's doing stuff that nobody else has ever done, and I've used it like for thirty years now. So wow, that was like wow. It reminds me. I remember reading in some like guide to auditions. Barbara Streisand came into an audition like chewing gum, like really noticeably. Took it, sat on the stool, took it out of her mouth, and stuck it on the bottom of the stool. Yeah, and that was memorable. Yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. Um. So how does this show resonate with you, Stephanie? How does the show resonate with me? Yes. Um, you know, as, as, as a person, I think I really, you know, I come from a, a very solidly, like, lower middle class, I guess, type of. I mean, my dad got a college degree um, and was a teacher, um, but nobody you know, else in the family had gotten college degrees. Um, so I think, but, but I always loved like reading. I always loved uh, that world. And I was sort of like 
thought, like, I wanted to be a ballet dancer, and I thought they looked so glamorous and, you know, and just so elegant. And I wanted that kind of elegant, glamorous, you know, sophisticated life. And and I think that Rita really, she sees, like, this this other, the other world as, as this glowing thing that's going to be so fulfilling. Uh, and in many ways it is, and in many ways it's hollow, you know, the artifice of it is hollow. And um, so mm-hmm. I, I think I, I appreciate that kind of uh, the leveling that happens once you realize that everybody's just a person who's kind of scared, mm-hmm. uh, whether they are educated or not educated, you know, in that way. We're all the same. Mm. So, Stephanie, in the first <clears throat> play that I saw you in, I've maybe seen you in five plays, you played a queen, the last high queen of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite scenes, I think I've told you this before, in local theater since I started getting involved like a decade ago, was she and the king mm-hmm. like have this te- strong hatred and yet passion for each other and they're singing a song and circling around each other it was so gripping i'm actually that the king was tom griffin he is now directing valley light opera and i'm stage managing with him that was a fantastic show yeah yeah he is he is awesome and i loved that moment that was that was linda McEnany staged that and it was just so beautiful that you know that huge circle just spiraling in with this tension uh, yeah, I love that moment, too. Yeah, I, I, the other thing I remember from that show was she had fake rocks, like it takes place in Ireland, fake mm-hmm. rocks on the set, and I was stage managing, and people at the end of the show would chat, and they'd sort of back out of their seats and trip over the rocks. So like a 75-year-old woman fell backwards <laughs> over. So my job became guarding people, making sure they didn't fall over the rocks. You never know what's going to happen in theater. It's kind of exciting. That way. You never um, Yep. So what's it like being an equity actor in Western Mass, Stephanie? Oh, you know, it's it's really wonderful and it's really challenging. Um, I mean, it's, it's wonderful because, as you know, the theater community here is just amazing. Uh, there's a huge amount of talent. Uh, it was very, you know, kind of you to put me in your favorite choices, but I would say there are, there's gobs of talent here. Um, and, and people are really kind and real and nice, uh, and pleasant to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, so in that way, it's magical. I think the Pioneer Valley is magical. Um, it's challenging because there are not a lot of equity theaters around close by. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and especially, you know, with the loss of New Century, um, you know, there's, there's a bit of a hole in the valley for equity theater. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, so ahead, yeah. Can I interrupt? Uh, yeah. What is an equity theater? Oh, good question. Oh, good. Th- yeah. So equity is really just the actors union, the stage actors union. Huh. Um, and I've been a member of the stage actors union since 96. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it provides a lot of protection for the actor in terms of, um, you know, not only wages, but like, Working conditions, you know, not overworking, all those things are really great. And it's, you know, quite bothersome when you want to work with a poor, you know, local theater that's struggling. And, you know, they they have to run through hoops, you know, jump through hoops to get you on board, which, you know, can be frustrating. So So it boils down to equity. Actors are paid and um, a a lot of the shows around here are volunteer only. So do you end up going to the Berkshires or Boston? 
I go to Boston a lot. I go to Worcester a lot. Uh-huh. Um, nice. The Berkshires, not as much. A lot of the theaters there do tend to cast out of New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I always give it a try. <laughs> I show up everywhere. <laughs> Why not? So we have been talking to Stephanie Carlson, who is playing Rita in Educating Rita, and Adrian Goldman, who is playing Frank. The show is coming up this weekend, Thursday through Sunday. You can get tickets at Eventbrite. It's eventbrite.com. Um, the tickets are relatively, actually really inexpensive, $22 or 20 for students. It's at the Passport Theater in East Hampton. So thank you both. Thank you so much, Adrian and Stephanie, for joining us and telling us about your show. I can't wait to see it. Thank you. Yay. Can't wait to have you. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. There is a contested Democratic primary for the office of Sheriff of Hampshire County. And on our next show, we will be speaking with the present sheriff who is seeking re-election. Pat Kaylane will be our guest. Okay, give me a second here. At 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Grow Food Northampton helps you make the local food system better. This is Michael Skillcorn, Director of Programs. You can join us by shopping at Northampton Tuesday Market, getting a plot at our community garden in Florence, buying a farm share at Crimson and Clover or Sawmill Herb Farm. You can volunteer with us in our giving garden or participate in our neighborhood markets that bring the local food movement to underserved communities in Northampton. Get involved and support our work at growfoodnorthampton.com. Y hablamos español. Do you ever wish you could be a kid again? Big Brothers Big Sisters lets you take a break from the adult world for a few hours a week. Anyone can be a mentor. You'll have support and guidance from professional caseworkers like me. My name is Jess, and I'm a case manager, but I've also been a big sister with the program for almost four years. At first, I thought it would be hard to find the time, but spending time with my little quickly became one of the best parts of my week. When is the last time you went rollerblading? The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5 o'clock.